0: I am grateful that you're here today, and I'm grateful that you're joining us online if that's how you're participating in this. What we need to talk about today is very important, and I think it's very critical, especially as we think about our world and where we are in our culture today and what it means to follow Jesus. So, today, we're going to address this topic right here. I put it up there for two reasons. One, I think the thumbnail online will increase our click count um, on this message. But I, I put it up there in a kind of an in-your-face kind of way because this is how Paul presents it to us. We're going to go into Scripture today, and Paul, who writes this letter that we've been in, this letter to the first Corinthians, the church in Corinth, He is going to go straight forward. He's going to go right into this subject of sex and our sexuality, and he's not going to mince words. And he's not going to pull any punches either. And so, to do scripture honor, I want to try to mirror that as best we can. And because I think there's some things about this topic that we need to know. So I'm going to say just a pastoral word at the very beginning. First of all, remember that when we study today by Paul, follows what we studied last week. And if you have not heard last week's sermon, I want you to go back this week and I want you to listen to that. You'll find it online or on our podcast. Because what Paul lays out there is he lays out a message of hope And reconciliation, because we're going to talk about some things today that perhaps you've already struggled with, you're currently struggling with, maybe you've already got some ideas in your head with, and there has been some brokenness around it. And so, if I'm not careful, today comes across very judgmental, and that is not my purpose. I want you to understand how Paul set it up. So, last week, he set up our whole discussion with three verses, chapter 6, verses 9, 10, and 11. And he talks about, you were once like this, but now, but now you're redeemed. Now you've been washed. Now you've been sanctified. Now you've been justified. And so, you need to hear everything we're going to talk about today in the light of that truth. If you skip that truth, you're missing half of what we're talking about today. So, hang with me through this and through some parts that you seem, that seems to be making me feel guilty or he's trying to shame me. I want you to go back and listen to that because there's the hope. The challenge of this topic is the fact that sexual brokenness affects us all. There is not a person I would dare say that in this room or watching online that has not to some level or degree been affected by sexual brokenness either the struggle that you brought on yourself maybe by your choices and your sexual brokenness or a family member and because of the choices and decisions that they made and led to their sexual brokenness that that greatly has impacted your life somehow this is everywhere and so what i want to do is I want to present what I believe is a New Testament Christian perspective. How are we going to think about sexuality? How are we going to think about sex? And Because this is where Paul is going to take us in the Scriptures that we're going to look at today. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> one more word on pastoral. I realized that last week and this week we're going into some dyson areas. We're going into some very political areas. We're going to areas where our culture has really drawn some lines and they've staked out some claims. Many of the claims that I'll make today will counter some of those, will at least be in opposition to some of those. So I want to let you know what undergirds all of my thoughts today, and it's this belief. It is the Christian duty of all Jesus' followers to love our neighbor. I, I am presenting this today because... It's our duty as followers of Jesus to love our neighbor, even the ones that disagree with us. So, as you hear anything today, please do not think that I'm setting up some kind of obstacle. It's me, the church, Christians, versus you, in whatever position you've got. That I'm trying to put you somehow on the outside now, I'm trying to say you're no longer worthy or valuable. You're no longer welcome. You're no longer this because I'm trying to put you in some category. That's not my goal. My goal is to serve and love the best way I know how. And that's by sharing the truth. Pardon me. <coughs> Richard, would you bring me my drink? trying to know that pee right there. I'm sorry. I'm, I've got some kind of drainage going on. I want to talk first about sex in our culture and then sex in. The Corinthian culture, and you're going to see some parallels. First of all, here's what I believe about our culture. We are sex-obsessed in our world. Would anybody disagree? It is saturated everywhere. It is almost impossible to watch any kind of TV show, any kind of, of movie, any kind of material, and there not be some kind of underlying sexual reference to it. In fact, if you find a show that has zero sexual reference or kind of innuendos, you're watching Mister Rogers. Okay. <laughs> so <clears throat> it is pervasive. It's everywhere. It's everywhere we turn. It's in our marketing. It's all across social media. It's in the it's in the books we read. The magazines. I, it is just a part of the air that we breathe. Part two of that is, <clears throat> we become and pardon my word, it may be kind of awkward here, we become a sex-privatized culture. Now, what I don't mean is that we're keeping it all private, obviously, because that goes against verse one, the, the, the first um, uh, tenet of our culture. But what we've done is we've made it very much a autonomous. In other words, I will choose my, my sexuality, I will choose how I respond, I will choose what I do with my body, and it is absolutely none of your business you have no say in the matter what i choose to do how i choose to respond how i what i choose to look at is absolutely none of your business so there's this very individualistic nature in our sexuality in fact this is slipping into the church this is slipping into, it used to be, we kind of thought, we can know where all the lines are. That is no longer the case. As I was doing research, I came across this stat that <clears throat> I knew from kind of intuition, but now I actually had some documented case of it. So here's a report that came out about a year uh, in 2020. Half of U.S. Christians say casual sex between consenting adults is sometimes or always acceptable. Because culture has said a myth that says, as long as there's consenting adults, that's the only requirement involved for you then to choose. This is what Paul was finding in Corinth. Because their problem with sexuality equal to ours. And this is where, and I've said this before, when you get into Scripture and you start realizing what God is is telling us through Scripture, what is such an ancient document that comes from so many years ago, 2,000 years ago, seems like it was printed today. This is like as recent as the news this morning that you were listening to. And so, Here's, the, the, here's what was going on in culture in Corinth. And I'm about, about to read the scriptures in Corinth, I mean the scriptures in the 1 Corinthians that we're going to get to. But I want you to understand the context of what's going on. <clears throat> first thing you need to know about the culture in Corinth, it was full of sexual immorality in general. Remember, it's a port city. It's a port city in a major trade route. There were ports on both sides of Corinth. There was a five-mile landmass. And so you had ships coming in from Rome. You had ships going out the other direction to all the rest of the Roman Empire and as they would make their way, they would pull into Corinth. The crews would disembark. They would spend some time hauling the cargo over the landmass. They'd have to wait their turns. Ships could be in dock for weeks waiting for this to occur for them to get to the other side of the landmass and the other port and begin the sail again. And so you had people coming from all over the known world spending time in a city where they were anonymous. And so anonymity and available time, and they had money, and so suddenly you can see how an entire sexual industry could arise out of this. And so, when you've got anonymity, suddenly it makes lots more sexual acts okay. I've been to more than one ministerial conference where at the end of the conference, the hotel notified us, that their pay-per-view spiked during our conference because of anonymity. This is going on in Corinth. In particular, there's another problem in Corinth. Prostitution. Corinth was full of prostitution in particular. This was not unique or solely Corinth, but this was a definite major problem in Corinth. We already talked about the possibility that that the Temple of Aphrodite that set up on the agri the hill behind the city that we've seen pictures of, that they employed some number, now the actual number is in dispute, but some number of temple prostitutes, maybe as many as a thousand, both male and female, that would come down from the temple mount, from the, the, the height down into the Agora, the marketplace, and begin to offer their services to all of this eclectic group that had come from all over the world and corinth became known for this that in fact the temple of Aph- aphrodite not the only temple of aphrodite but the major most famous temple of aphrodite was in corinth and so this is what paul sees and it's slipping into these followers of jesus inside the church and then the last one and this is, affects just us the same is that the Greco-Roman world saw or believed that the body and the soul were two separate things, that, that they were separate deals. In fact, there's this idea that, that whatever was in the body, well, that's just kind of earthly and lowly and demeaning. That has nothing to do, there's a total separation between the things that are loftier: your mind and your spirit and your soul. And so the body can do whatever. Any you know, of this sound familiar? And you're not damaging, corrupting, harming, misaligning anything in your mind or in your spirit. And so there's this idea, this breaking of that. So with that in mind, if you have your scripture journals, open to page 22. If you have your Bibles or your apps, open to uh, chapter 6, verse 12. Chapter 6, verse 12. What I'm going to do... So I'm going to walk us through these eight, nine, nine verses today. And then I'm going to give you some, I'm going to take the commands that Paul has, apply them to us, and then uh, give you some ways to remember and put those into, into practice. Paul begins this way All things are lawful for me. Now, you have to understand what Paul's about to do, he's about to quote them back to themselves and then he's going to have a retort for it okay so it's a it's a dialogue that he's having that goes back and forth all things are lawful for me but not all things are helpful all things are lawful for me but i will not be dominated by anything for food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food and god will destroy both one and god will destroy both one and the other the body is not meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. They are quoting kind of a creed. You know, all things are lawful for me. That apparently was a saying going around the church. Now, we're not sure whether it's a saying that was just common in the, in, in the culture, or perhaps, and this is one that I believe, that what they're doing is they're actually quoting Paul back to Paul. Paul came in and he preached a gospel of freedom, a gospel of you are no longer chained by the past. And what you can now do is you now have freedom in Christ. And what they then do is they then take that and they run wild with that. And so they're making this claim. Remember, they've got a real separation of the body and the spirit, the soul, the higher things. And so they think, well, if it's all free then let's just use our freedom any way we can. And so they're quoting Paul back to Paul saying, you said, you said it was free. You told us, Paul, we don't have to follow the uh, Old Testament food laws anymore. Your body, our stomachs were designed for food. God made it all clean. Let's partake. And so now they're quoting you back saying, you said we were free, so let's apply the same thing to our bodies. And Paul's about to come back and say, I need to write that in your mind. Because you're not thinking of it like a follower of Jesus. You've got a different perspective. And so what he does, he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. And this is why they bring in the whole food, the food and the stomach. He says, your body, he has a very important verse. He says, yes, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. But God's going to destroy both. But the power line is the body, I'm at the end of verse 13. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. Now let me show you what that word is in the Greek because it's very simple. Sexual immorality comes from this word pornea. This is what it looks like in the Greek. Can you tell the word that we get from this word? It's pornography. So, what Paul is saying here is that all forms of sexual immorality, this is his word for all forms of sexual immorality, whether they're lustful, whether they're abusive, whether they're they're, um, illicit, whatever it is, he's grabbing all forms and saying, your body is not designed for that. And so, when, this, when you see this word appear, and this is a word that Paul will use regularly when he talks about sexual immorality, and Jesus uses this word as well in, in his teachings, what they're saying is, they're saying, there's a place for sexuality. Everything outside of that, all other expressions are out of bounds. Okay? So, let me show you what, here's what I understand the New Testament teaches This is the New Testament definition of sexual intimacy. Sexual intimacy is for a man and a woman in the context of marriage. This is what again and again and again the the New Testament scriptures affirm as sexual intimacy. This is where God designed it for. All others are called to celibacy. This is when when you see the word sexual immorality, Paul, in this case in Corinthians, or when Jesus uses it, it is saying, anything of the sexual intimate nature, which would include our online worlds, that is outside of this specific context, is taking what God created outside of its intended place. And so Paul is going to have some instructions for us now. Because this, this is what he's talking about, when he's talking about to them. He says, you're allowing things to come in, and you're starting to blur some lines here. And what Paul knows is there's an incredible consequence for this. Again, we've all been affected somehow on some level by sexual violence brokenness. And so Paul is speaking to this. So verse 14. Paul's going to help him think in this way. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute. Remember, one of the major things going on in Corinth was this participation in temple prostitution. Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Now he gives us the command flee from sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? All things that are sexual outside the context of the husband and wife relationship inside of a covenant of marriage. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. The word flee, Paul uses by choice. It means run away. You don't walk away, you don't casually stroll. If you're in a building that's burning down and somebody says, fire, run, you move towards the exits right away. You don't say, I'll wait until it gets warm. You don't say, let me do some s'mores first. Why? Because you don't play around with it. Paul gives a command. And in fact, what Paul, I believe, is referencing, some of you are familiar with the story of a man named Joseph in the Old Testament. He was sold as a Hebrew slave into into Egypt. And in one of his positions there, he becomes a slave in the household of a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar is a big, important, powerful man in the government. And so he's always off on trips. Well, Potiphar's wife, an Egyptian, takes a liking to this slave and wants to have Joseph for herself sexually to the point where she throws herself at him tries to seduce him catches him off guard in a moment when he's doing part of his his duties inside the house corners him in a room and presents a sexual opportunity to him i mean she is opening herself up saying i am yours for the taking so much that he flees is the word Because he knows that's not right, and he moves out so quickly that she's able to grab a hold of him, still holding his cloak or his robe, and he actually gets out of it and gets out of there because he's not going to play around with that at all. Paul is saying, You flee from it. And that's some instructions we need to take seriously. I, I talked, we had a sermon few years back where we talked about margins and guardrails some of us need to flee in the fact that we need to set up some margins and some guardrails in our life in this area and if there's somebody that's on facebook that's tempting us there's a relationship that we're trying to perhaps rekindle that's an old flame or an old girlfriend or something and we're flirting around the edges of an affair you flee you block you get off Social media. If your temptation is pornography, and guys, we struggle with this, let's just be honest. This is a very pervasive thing, and it comes delivered to us so easily now. It's on our phones. We need to find ways to have accountability and block that. Some of you are tempted with relationships outside of your marriage. Some of you are not yet married, but perhaps you want to cross some lines and go some places that maybe if I'd asked you three or four years ago, you said, oh, no, never. But now, because of either the relationship or something, I think we're going to get married because now sex has become such a casual thing that you're going to cross some lines. You need to not be alone in those situations where the temptation's going to come. You need to flee. And you just build in some margins, some guardrails. You know, I, well, I try to make it a point that I'm never alone in the office with someone of the opposite sex. And I've had some people tell me, well, that seems a little extreme. You know, we trust you or whatever. So That's fine. Let me, let me tell you what I'm never going to do. I'm never going to look back and regret I wish I had been alone more often with the opposite sex of somebody. that's not my wife. That's just not a regret. Nobody, let me, I just kind of get to some of the end here. Nobody, in all the people that I've ever worked with, all the people that I've ever visited with in my office, and they've come in and they've got these stories of sexual brokenness, nobody has ever said, if only I had had more sexual partners, my life would have been better. Some of you know this is true, and if you had the microphone, you would be saying exactly the same thing. We flee. We build in guardrails. We create margins. And remember, the guardrail always goes, you don't put the guardrail in the ditch. You put it before the ditch so that you don't end up in the ditch. And they may seem extreme to the world. You may need to have somebody that can check your internet history at a moment's notice without your permission. Whatever it takes, Paul's saying you flee this. But how do we do that? Let me give you some, let me give you some things to remember as we go through this. I'm going to give you three things to remember. And if you would write these down or put these into your head or, or pray about them on your heart, this will matter in the moment. Okay, the first thing, Based on the idea where he says um, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. I want you to remember this. Sex is a gift from God. God does not design sex as some kind of temptation out there with no purpose. Sex was designed by God in the right context. Sex is awesome. Outside of that context, it becomes dangerous. We talked about a fire in the building a while ago. I love having a fire in the fireplace. Um, I mean, I grew up, my mom, bless her heart, if it dropped below 75 degrees, she lit a fire. Okay? Because we, so I grew up loving, loving fires in the fireplace. It was always wonderful. I love having it when we have fires in our fireplace. We actually have a fireplace inside and one outside. I love having fires. What we don't enjoy is taking sticks of burning wood out of our fire and running through the house. Because now what happened? We've taken it out of context. In one context, it's warm, it's enjoyable, it it's creates this ambiance, this intimacy. Outside of that, it's danger. Any prohibition that God gives to you, whether it's sexual or otherwise, is not because He wants to be some kind of cosmic killjoy. It's a prohibition to protect you. That's the only reason God gives these prohibitions. is because He designed you. He created you. He knows exactly how you're designed to work. And so He knows in this context. And so He's saying there is no such thing as casual sexual encounter. You cannot divorce your physical and your emotional spiritual sense. And you know that to be true. Second thing, let's go ahead and read. Next verse says this, 619. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Here's what I want you to remember about this. My body belongs to God, and my body is a temple for God. See, this challenges our own autonomy, doesn't it? We're so wrapped up in this, it's my body, my choice, my thing, we've bought into that. And I just want to say, it's not your body. You're not the owner. You're borrowing it right now. Now, I know we don't always treat other people's things nicely, right? I mean, just rent a car and get the insurance and then do whatever you want with it. I understand how that works for some people. But if it's something from somebody that you value this person and they entrust you with something, suddenly you treat it with all kinds of respect, right? Because you, you're inherently aware of the value. I, I'll never forget driving my kids home from the hospital the very first time after they were born. It's a five-mile-an-hour drive. And you're yelling at everybody else, going, I got a baby here. Why? Because suddenly I'm realizing I've got a body that's in my car that is incredibly valuable to me. And I'm not mistaken about that at that moment. That's what God says. Paul is telling the Corinthians. He's telling us, your body is incredibly valuable and it doesn't belong to you. Because this whole idea of your body's down here and your, your spirit's up there. It's one and the same because you are a temple of the living God. So wherever you are, there's God. Keep that thought in your mind as you flee. Whenever that temptation arises, am I going to take God with me into this? Now, let me be clear this is the perspective of the Christ follower. I realize not everybody hearing me is a Christ follower, but this is how the Christian is to think about this, is that God is in them, He is with them, He is present, He's always there by His very promise that I will be with you always, I will never leave you. We find great hope in that, and we've got to remember that also is in those moments when I'm about to go someplace on the Internet I shouldn't go. That's also in that moment where I'm about to send that text that's a little on the fortacious side. It's on that moment where I'm about to cross some lines that I know I'm not it's not mine. See, we have bought into this idea that what you really need to be is truly authentic to who you are. That's that's where we get all this language about identity right now, isn't it? That I've got to be true to me. I've got to be truly authentic. And somehow we've got authenticity as a higher value than transformation. And what the Christ follower is seeking is transformation in my life. So it is not love me for who I am. It's love me for who I am called to be in the name of Jesus Christ. And that is the same love we present out to everybody else. This is why we're here to serve our neighbors. It's not simply that I'm going to say, yes, whatever you say, I'm going to love you for that. I'm going to love you for how God loves you and He is transforming you or wants to transform you and redeem you into something that is beyond your wildest imagination. You can't even define it right now. But God can. Because He wants to make you into a temple of His Holy Spirit. And then... The last verse of this whole thing, and I intentionally save this for last. And if you circle any verse of this, I want you to circle this one. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. So what I want you to remember as you put flea into practice is this. Jesus suffered agony for your purity jesus suffered agony endured the cross for your purity now that can come across like i'm trying to shame you and if what you feel right now is shame that's not my intent i'm not trying to guilt you into something that verse has unbelievable hope in it because it ties right back to what Paul says in verses 9, 10 and 11 you were once this way but now you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified. He is coming right back to that says you were bought at a price. You didn't do it, Jesus bought you. He paid the price and he is willing to step in your place so that purity can be yours. Redemption can be yours. A cleansing and a washing. Washing? Purity. These things go right together and there's the hope in this verse. So, maybe you have crossed the lines. Maybe you have blown up a family. Maybe you are addicted to something right now. There is hope because Jesus paid the price. And the cross can overcome come that because Jesus overcame the cross and he walked out of the tomb for you not so you would hold your head down in shame and just acquiesce to a broken existence so that you can know what it is to be whole and healed and transformed What you were created for. So we're going to sing a song in just a second. It says, create in me a clean heart. But I'm going to start with a prayer. And we're going to let that song continue that prayer. But as I pray, I'm going to leave a little bit of quiet time. and I want you to have a conversation with God. Because He's here and He's present. And I want this to be a message of hope. And here's the question I want you to wrestle with. What struggle, what sexual temptation or struggle do you need to flee right now? If you would. Let's pray. Father, as each person here, as each person online, as they take a moment and they have a conversation with you, would you hear our hearts? Amidst all this chaos of sexual brokenness, (laughs) Heavenly Father. for those that are addicted for those that are seeking intimacy with someone that's not their spouse for those that have been broken by somebody else's sexual choice for those that have already crossed lines for those that that are right now perhaps flirting with an affair And for those that have yet to make these choices and they have a life ahead of them, but these temptations and struggles are real, Father, would you give us all the ability to hear Jesus calling us? Give us the ability to silence the the loud voices in our culture right now and let us hear the one that paid the price for us, calling us, owning us, transforming us, Father. And to whatever person right now feels the shame and the regret from a message like this, Father, would you exchange that for hope in the power of what Jesus can do? And the redemption that's already been bought, that's already been paid for, and help them to claim that forgiveness and cling to that hope, Father. Father, would you restore people? Would you restore students that perhaps have been pressured by a boyfriend or girlfriend? Would you restore husbands that go to places on the Internet? Would you restore wives (coughs) that have been tempted with emotional affairs? Father, would you restore healing in those that wrestle with same-sex attraction? All of these are your children, Father. Father. All of these you're transforming. Father, I ask this in the name of the one that paid the price. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm going to put a slide up. This is our text number. I realize that a message like this can land in all kinds of different ways. If you need to talk to somebody, you want to reach out to me and we continue some kind of conversation, something we can be praying for, one of our shepherds or elders, I encourage you uh, uh, to do that. I'm also down front available if you want to have that conversation. There. Either way, would you stand as as we sing?